92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All because of a fancy bike? It's not just a bike. Peloton makes treadmills, too. Eh, all treadmills are the same. Our treadmills can adjust speed and incline automatically, so you never break your stride. Whether you're squeezing in a power walk or training for a marathon, Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try the Peloton Tread risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's Nature Connection Show. Today, we are so excited to welcome Danielle Claude. She is a zoologist, a biologist, a natural history author, and an animal expert based at Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia. So that means she gets to see all kinds of cool animals. And I mean, Australia is just magic. Awesome. Um, mm. We're so excited about our new book, too. It is called Koala, A Natural History and an Uncertain Future, which mm. is the sad part. Um, but we're really yeah. glad that she's shining the light on these beautiful uh, beings that a lot of us think are all snugly cute. Um, but she's going to tell us a little bit about them, uh, share some insights and um things we maybe don't know about with regards to koalas, but also what we can do uh, possibly to protect them as well, especially after the fires that happened a couple of years back in Australia. So anyway, her website is danielleclode.com.au and that is C-L-O-D-E, danielleclode.com.au. And of course you can get it on all websites uh, like Amazon and all that. So welcome to the show, Danielle, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're excited. Koalas, like I said, mm-hmm. you know, we all think, I think most people in, in our country have mostly seen them in a zoo and this, we're lucky to right. see them in the wild in Australia. Um, you know, sadly, I, I know you're a zoologist, but I think it, it it's too bad we can't see more in the wild, right? Uh, how, I mean, mm-hmm. do you get to see them in the wild in Australia yeah. that often? Yeah, well, that's actually a really good point, because um, if you live on the east coast of Australia, it's pretty uncommon to see them in the wild. Um, A lot of people who live there would only ever have seen them in zoos and wildlife parks. Um, Down in the south, where where I live, for example, in the Adelaide Hills, they're really very common and quite abundant. So we see them quite regularly um, in in the wild here. And and if you know where they are, they're not hard to find. So, but that's a really unusual situation. Um, There's more koalas here than you might normally expect to have. So um, yeah, they're very abundant in some places and very rare in others. So So are they really like over here, most people say koala bear. They're not bears, are they? No, they're not bears. No, Australians don't tend to call them koala bears. They're just koalas. <laughs> so they're actually marsupials. So they're quite different from, right. from bears and from most other um, mammals that Northern Hemisphere people are accustomed to. So a lot of Australia's animals are marsupials. So they're pouched animals. So they, mm-hmm. they keep their young in a pouch. So they're, they're quite, they're a completely different group of animals to the what's called placental or eutherian mammals like the rest mm-hmm. of us. So hmm. the other thing with them, you know, regards to them being a marsupial, did I read that they're related to a wombat? 
They are wombats are the closest living relative to koalas. Um, so there's, there's only two types of animals in that group that still survive, but there used to be a lot more in that group. So, you know, a lot of the Australian megafauna, so, you know, you guys had woolly mammoths and um, saber-toothed tigers and big things like that. Mm. We had giant marsupials. So, and there were some relatives of koalas there that were were really big. The diprotodons were two or three ton grazing marsupials. <laughs> so, no way. Wow. Oh my wow. gosh, I, I need to come cool. over. That's it. That's so cool. You know, um, you know, I wanted to touch on, you know, the fires, obviously, you know, that's going to uh, be, you know, you know, it, it hurts all animals and wildlife, obviously humans as well. But um, where are we on that? I mean, how, when you say in your area, you've got them, you know, they're all over, but then in other areas, they're not. Where are we in regards to, um, are, are they, do they need being more protection because I was reading also that in, that you're saying that they are actually listed as endangered species now. Mm, yeah, so um, the bushfires are a big threat to koalas. I mean, like a lot of Australian plants and animals, um, you know, that bushfires are a regular part of their their things that happen in the Australian bush. Bush bushfires happen a lot here, um, and most of the forest is adapted to recovering quite quickly. And and although obviously bushfires are really horrible for you know plant, animals that are trapped in them, that the, the populations recover reasonably quickly from bushfires um, in the past. But as we have more and more of them, it makes it harder and harder for that to happen. Um, and also the forests are quite fragmented now. It's not, you know, big areas of forest. So mm. you have a fire in one area and other animals could repopulate from an unburnt area. Now we have the fires burn out the whole forest area. So there's nowhere for them to, to go. There's nowhere for them to recover from. So, so that's the big risk of the increasing um, bushfires. And also so burning hotter. I mean, here in the States, we've had some really devastating fires, uh, especially in California. And we've lived through them where, you know, like the Sequoia uh, forests and, you know, they're, that's the only place you can really see them growing naturally as an actual mm -hmm. forest in the in the world in the Sierra Nevada mountains uh, but um, they're saying that the fires are burning hotter and really faster and that's also mm -hmm. part of the problem is that the same thing in Australia yeah they are a bit they are more severe um, I, I think more the issue in Australia is that they are more frequent so so that's a problem for forest recovery because you know our forests are, are, have evolved to recover from fires but they can't do it if the fires are too frequent it burns the new growth and, and they don't they don't recover from that um, but they're also burning in areas that haven't been burnt before so wet gullies and places and rainforest areas so areas that haven't burnt are now burning. So a good example of that in the Black Summer fires is that the um, there's some trees called Woolamai pines. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're very, very ancient trees and there's just a tiny pocket of them left in a wet mm. gully in the mountains where they've been protected from fire for a hundred million years. So there've been no wow. fires there. They're very fire sensitive trees and that's why we have none of them left. Um, and those those trees were vulnerable and at risk, and they mm. had to be specially protected so that they didn't didn't get impacted by the fires. So that shows you how the fires are burning in places that they really haven't been burning before, and that's that's another big risk. 
the fine mm, so sure. for koalas mm. their food is basically burning up right and i remember doing um a, a school project on koalas and I just was like, they're the coolest koalas and sloths, man. I don't know because they're just chill, but they're just so chilled out, you know. But I remember this part going and and getting upset and wondering what was going to happen to them because mm. of what they eat. Because it was like, as I recall, something it's like mostly like eucalyptus and and those That's kind of it. things. But they had to have so many different varieties to actually be okay so you can't just go oh here's your eucalyptus tree eat away yeah. you had to have all these oh. different gum or gum trees right and mm-hmm. and then i'm mm-hmm. like well how are we going to keep this biodiversity we used to live in in kenya and south africa and, and we've watched the biodiversity mm-hmm. what people Change. may go on safari now think is amazing we're going it's not anywhere biodiverse as it was mm-hmm. you know back in the yeah. 80s and the 70s and even then mm-hmm. they were it was endangered because of you yeah. know the poaching so when it comes to the food source, which I think sometimes we forget in when we look at wildlife conservation and in the environment is the habitat is actually very important. So where are we on that for koalas and what are they eating? Because it looks like yeah. they get happy off their food. <laughs> yeah, well, you, got, you raised a lot of issues there. Yeah, yes. um, they, they do. They're very particular about their food. So you, they do. They, they almost exclusively eat eucalyptus. Um, but there's a lot of different types of eucalypts. So there's 900 species of eucalypt trees in Australia um, and koalas are known to eat about 70 of those. And any one individual koala will eat only between three and 10 species. And they probably can only eat those species because of the specific um, microbes they have in their gut that allows them to digest those particular those particular proteins and and toxins and things that are in those leaves. So so koalas are incredibly fussy um, eaters. They have to be. It's not just the species of tree that they have to be careful of. They're also particular about which individual tree they eat. So they'll eat one tree, but not another one (laughs) of the same species. Um, And also which leaves off the tree. So they'll eat some leaves, but not others. And that's probably all to do with the toxin levels, the water levels, the nutrition levels in the leaves. So they're they're, because of the high toxicity, they're sort of walking a very tight line in terms of balancing nutrition and toxins. In fact, there are some gum leaves that they can eat, but they actually lose nutrition by doing so. So the leaves actually have um, molecules in them that extract nutrients from the koala instead of the other way around. And that's a defense. That's a plant defense. So they do that to stop animals from eating them. So koalas have to be super careful. And, And just to give you an idea of how big an area, one koala needs a forest the size of a sports field um it it to to survive so that's how much biodiversity they need um because they just need a lot of different trees and they can't eat them you know they can't over browse them they have to move around but are um marsupials only found in australia or are they found in other places in the world no, um, they're found in South America as well. So, oh. um, you know, they're a Gondwanan uh, distribution. But, um, yeah, there's a, quite a lot of opossums. You, you'll be familiar with opossums. Oh, in the yeah, right. Yeah, the I forgot. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. That, that's that's right. right. We have them. Yeah. yeah. 
That's the one this... species that has gone into the northern hemisphere. All the rest are restricted to the southern hemisphere, but but there's mm. um, you know over 100 species of opossums in in South America, so they're quite diverse. But I guess Australia's marsupials are are very diverse in form. They've evolved mm -hmm. for, for yeah, a long time. Yeah, I forgot about. Yeah, one hops I mean... and one climbs trees. Kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. jump the kangaroos. I mean, they're crazy, but. So they need all this, you know, oh. diverse habitat. So there's the fires that are threatening them. Is, is forestry a threat to them? Or do you have uh, good laws on that? Yeah, yeah no. Um, well, we do have laws on that, but there seems to be a lot of exceptions to them. So, um, yeah, forestry is a problem. We still, we're still supporting an industry of native forest logging, um, which is quite problematic. It's not an economically viable um, industry and most of the wood is is simply put into paper pulp so it's it's a very oh. wasteful industry um, but that has a big impact on it. the thing is it's cheap so they like to like to do it if they can but um, it has a huge impact on the forest it, it's even if it's done in a way that appears to be sustainable and maintains the forest it actually changes the nature of the forest and what it seems to do is it it promotes trees that are both poor in nutrition and not able to be eaten by koalas and other species. And it also promotes fire. So we mm. tend to get the more flammable trees um, recovering mm. more. So it changes the nature of the forest, yeah. I wonder mm. about the topsoil too in the forest when you're having mm. one fire after the other. You're not, because fire can actually help soil at times. But if you mm. have so many fires, it may not help the actual soil nutrition, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. We say, I, I, I can't speak to that from a scientific perspective, but I do know that um, we had the Black Saturday fires where I used to live in Victoria. And I do recall that the topsoil, all the, all the humus layer was completely burned. So it was mm. back to mineral earth so Australia has a very thin topsoil it's not it's very nutrient poor soil um, because it's such an old continent without much geological activity um, and so it's very easy to lose that topsoil completely in fires oh that's sad we have that mm. with agriculture um, mm. you know depending on mm. agriculture so you know and what about are they protected from people hunting them or what's that like yeah, well, the koalas have got an interesting, is that something we, we often don't talk about is that we did have a history of hunting koalas um, in the, but a long time ago in the um, late 1800s, early 1900s, they were hunted for fur and a lot of pelts were sent overseas to the fur markets in, in the US oh. and in the UK and um, that nearly wiped them out. So, you know, they were declared extinct in Victoria and South Australia because of that. Um, and there was a that was a big conservation movement um in, in and that was really when Australia when Australians started paying attention to koalas was then they, they were very concerned and there was a big campaign and actually the thing that finally stopped the fur trade was um they wrote to um, the American president Herbert Hoover and told him about what was happening and he actually banned the importation of koala fur to America and yes. that dried up the trade so, that that's helped that helped with you know cool. um, the no it probably got reversed um but at, the states had it where you're it was banned to bring elephant over uh, on play it, you couldn't mm. you couldn't you know elephants and any of the you know lions mm. and things like that you they had they put a ban on it 
but that could have changed because we had a period where everything that was protective went away. But um, yeah. so it, I know it happens. And so that's something mm -hmm. that's something we have to, you know, um, always stay up at, on top of and watch Indeed. because laws come in and they go mm -hmm. away. So yeah. climate change obviously is also a factor then in regards to koalas and yeah. because of the fires, right, is, yeah. is part of that. Yeah. It is, um, and also increasing, you know, the change in climate in terms of increasing aridity and drought. So koalas are quite sensitive to drought, even though they are sort of, they give the appearance of being quite drought adapted. They don't, you know, they don't appear to drink a lot of water. In actual fact, their distribution is quite closely aligned to water. So they do better in wet areas and they also do better when it is wet in wet seasons and Australia has a very oscillating climate. So if you have a long period of drought, uh, the koalas will disappear. Um, and we also are not sure how climate change is gonna impact on the trees themselves and whether that might actually increase their toxicity in some cases, because the, the, that tends to have an impact on, on how toxic trees are because they just can't afford to lose their leaves. So they tend to make them more toxic to protect them. And also don't eucalyptus, I mean, we always say, you know, in this country, people started putting eucalyptus in areas that they didn't belong. And it would, you know, when, when we have a water problem, that's not cool, because they really wanted water and they would suck up like pompous grass sucks up well, all the water. Uh, so yeah. is that part of the problem for them too? Is like, if you know, it, the habitat really needs water for those kind of trees. Yeah, yeah. I mean, blue gums, um, eucalypt trees are capable of um, adapting to very dry climates. So that's part of the reason why they become a dominant species is because they're good at dealing with dry climates, but they have different ways of dealing with that. And um, blue gums in particular, which are one of the trees that's that's colonized other parts of the world highly successfully um, is has a is really really good at sending down really really deep roots and sucking up lots of moisture so mm. it does have a tendency to drop the water table um, which in some places is a good thing um, it's good for salination issues but in other places it's not but it's been used for draining swamps um, in Italy exactly. for example plant blue gums. Mm -hmm. so so yeah um, they do impact you, you know a big tree will use up water so that's sure. exactly why we brought them here in the first place was to clear mm -hmm. the swamps yeah you know? which now we're going oopsie yeah well, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's <laughs> lots of that isn't there yeah <laughs> well some some of the fires we had in california recently um in residential areas they found out the biggest problem like if they didn't plant these uh, gum trees or eucalyptus then they may not have been impacted by a fire mm. as much. Mm. And so they're actually starting to say, hey, we shouldn't be planting yeah. these non-natives in our yeah. areas because when things go mm -hmm. wrong, um, mm. they, they're not helping. Let's put it that way. So that's where mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a conversation to be had about the importance of native plants. Mm. You know what I mean? That, that play a yeah, role I mean when things get bad. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in Australia, you know, I live in a bushfire zone. I My property is prepared for bushfires. We, we, we defend our property against bushfires when they come through. Um, and we can't, I, as much as I love native vegetation and I much prefer to grow Australian trees and plants, I can't have it near my house because it is too fire prone. So I actually have to have a non-native garden. Oh, um, wow. In my wow. property. So, 
So we plant deciduous trees and things like that, which are very moist. They need a little bit more water, but you know, it does provide, a, those sort of gardens provide a protection from fires here. So, you know, fire adaptation is a, is a very particular thing and you've got to be really aware of how um, flammable the plant matter is around your property. And, and eucalypts close to your house is a very significant factor in house loss in Australian mm. bushfires. Oh wow. wow! I know that um, we've been in a in a number of um, fires, and cactus helped. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Can I be real for a second? That goal you have to exercise and eat better, you really can do it. But nobody is going to do it for you, and nobody has to because you can do it if you have the right tools and a community that cares about helping you get results. And that's us, Beachbody. It's as convenient as your TV or laptop, but you need to decide that you're worth it. Let us help you succeed. Here's how. Go to Beachbody.com to claim your free membership and start feeling great. Cactus. Yep, I can because imagine. full that. of water. Mm -hmm. You know, it really helps properties. And you learn that certain vines that you have, you think, oh, it was a vinca that, oh, it's so pretty, but it actually turns to hot oil, like creosote plants mm -hmm. turn to oil. It's not, it may be pretty, but um, yeah, they can, they turn into their yeah. own fuel, like, you know, on mm -hmm. top of normal fuel. But so the koalas themselves, I have to ask, their noses are so... <laughs> I mean, don't we all want to touch a koala bear's nose? And I know you have. Well, so tell us, I mean, is it like a dog's nose? Like, what does it feel like to touch a yeah, koala it, bear it, nose? It's probably, it's it's drier than a dog's nose. <laughs> They're not quite as drippy as a dog. But um, this is the gorgeous thing about koalas is it's one of the, it's their greeting is um, when they greet one another or when they greet a, a human that, that they know, they will bump noses. So they, they oh, bump. Cute. Mm. it's really gorgeous as if that animal wasn't <laughs> gorgeous enough as it was <laughs> but then so okay they, so are they high oh I, yeah i read somewhere a long time ago that they're high all the time yeah that's a that's a myth um is so it you, okay yeah <laughs> sorry about that one yeah. <laughs> no that's okay that's why i asked because i just yeah. i remember as a kid being told that koalas are all high and i'm like well okay but yeah yeah yeah. I, I think that's just because they sleep a lot um, during the day and they have, they are, if you've seen photos of koalas, you know that they're very relaxed in their postures. Mm -hmm. you know, they, they sort of flop everywhere, arms and legs in all directions. Um, so, so they're very relaxed animals. But but no, if you go and um, poke a, a koala in a tree and wake it up, you'll find it's not at all um, high or stoned. It'll, it'll react quite, <laughs> quite annoyed and immediately alert. So um, oh, yeah, no, they, mm. they just like they just sleep a lot, and they sleep a lot because they can. You know, people people think have argued that perhaps they sleep a lot because their food is low in nutrition. It's it's no lower in nutrition than um, what sheep or goats eat. Um, they mm. they eat the same amount of food. It takes a long time to digest. Um, the issue with koalas is they don't have to be alert for predators. Um, in trees, their anti-predator strategy is to stay still and not get noticed. And they are oh, quite yeah. hard to spot in a tree. So having a snooze is a good strategy. And it's exactly the same as your dog or cat does. Um, they sleep just as much um, and they have perfectly high nutrition food. So, yeah, it's it's just because they can. They're lucky. Okay. And, and so All when right. you talk about predators, what would be their biggest predator um, or threat? Well, their biggest threat today is is dogs and cars. 
Um, they're, they're, you know, so dogs, if you like, they're, they're a big source of um, deaths from, for, for koalas, unfortunately, in, in areas where humans live. Um, mm. So that's a big problem for them. In, in the wild, their original predators, um, probably the, the, some of the bigger owls and eagles. So oh, oh. Um, the, we know that the biggest Australian owl, powerful owl, eats koala joeys for sure. Um, and probably mm. the bigger wedge tails and some of those, you know, they're really big, big birds. So they would certainly take koalas if they get a chance. The biggest risk is when the mother is, um, you know, with a joey is on the ground um, because she's oh. carrying often quite a large joey on her back. And that's when they're vulnerable to predation. But snakes oh. will also, big pythons. I was going to ask about koalas. snakes because you guys have some crazy some snakes. snakes in Australia, man. You really... I mean, I thought Africa was some crazy snake stuff. And I mean, we could have a show just on snake snake no. encounters, uh, <laughs> mambas, boomslongs, you name it. We've been through it. Um, rattlesnakes, yep. even in this country, obviously, we have our good fair share. But uh, you have crazy. I mean, when are you going to write a book on snakes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's certainly plenty of them here. I think the main thing with ours is that they're just mildly um, poisonous. So they're very deadly um but yeah the, the ones that would would eat koalas would be the ones up north so they'd be the pythons the carpet pythons and the constrictors and yeah yeah wow wow but they're so pretty i mean i know the the poison mm. that's the scary thing you know yeah about it but yeah you get to get good spiders out there too right <laughs> yeah we do we do have our fair share of spiders but hey we don't have bears or lions or anything like that that tries to eat you apart from the sharks um, and you know, as long oh, as you yeah, stay out right. of water, yeah, as long as you stay out of the water, you're perfectly safe in Australia. Well, you know, really, honestly, it's about coexistence, right? And mm -hmm. and respecting wildlife, and that's something for koalas. Like, you know, here in this country, we have this you know problem of people going to like Yellowstone National Park and deciding they can go take a selfie mm -hmm. photo Instagram thing with a bison. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, yeah. it's insanity. You know what we see. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, here's mm -hmm. a buffalo. Oh, here's a moose. Let me see. Let mm -hmm. me put my child next to this and take a photo. Do you have that yeah. happen with koalas? Because they look yeah, so yeah. ugly, oh, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of the problem are some of the koalas really suffer from the issue of people wanting to rescue them. So, you know, they'll see a koala oh. on the... I've seen far too many videos of somebody coming across a koala sitting on the road and just rather than just waiting until it, you know, moves off of an, off its own accord, which it will do, they don't take, they don't rush these things. They, they like to take their time, but they will get there. Um, they'll go and try and pick it up and, and oh. move it. And really that's just not a good idea. They, they can, in, they've got quite serious claws because to climb a, a eucalypt, a hardwood eucalypt, you have to have really sharp, long claws to do that. And then they're quite um, ferocious and they will bite as well. They're generally fairly amiable animals as long as you leave them alone. But yeah, mm -hmm. far too many people want to come and cuddle them and touch them and pick them up. And really, that's that's not by and large that's not what they want. They 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 would much no. prefer you to leave them alone. Um, yeah. So I, I always say, you know, if you if you if a, if an animal starts moving away or looking away, while well, you're you're probably too close to it. So just mm -hmm. stand back. And if, if it's not paying attention to you, then you're at a good distance from it and it's, it's happy. Well, I mean, oh, that's I the same that. with any any wild animal. Yeah. Really does, mm -hmm. they have their, their, you can get so close and then something's going to happen. They're either going to charge mm -hmm. 
or they're going to run, or especially if they have babies some way, they do let you know. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. actually passed it. And, and mother koalas are quite um, defensive of their babies too. I, bet. I, I actually mm. passed one on the road, a mother koala. So I, I slowed down and waited for it across the road with her baby. And she climbed a tree on the side of the road. So she was in the tree and I continued to drive past. And as I looked in my mirror to see what she was doing, I saw her reach out a, a big claw and swipe at my car as I went past. Which she oh was my from my car, but she was obviously quite annoyed with me for being there. <laughs> wow, how dare you? But you know, but that's something, you know, again, they're wild animals. What led you to write mm -hmm. about koalas? Because I know you've written a number of books and um and and I want to know about the woman lost at sea. What <laughs> right? <laughs> but, yeah. Um you've done all kinds of amazing adventures. I mean, it's you, you seem very but you've done a lot in your life, but what was it that you said, I've got to do koalas? Well, I think um, having the bushfires was a big factor. I, I guess I've always taken koalas a little bit for granted. You know, there's something that you see now and again, and, um, you know, everybody thinks they know about them. But um, mm -hmm. after the bushfires, I was really puzzled by how come we had so many where I live, and yet they were going in, you know, under threat of extinction on the on the East Coast. So, so that puzzled me and I really wanted to find out more about that and seeing, you know, them being injured and cared for and all of that sort of stuff made, made me want to know more about them. And the more I looked into them, the more I realised I didn't know about koalas mm. um, and they're actually incredibly complex and interesting animals. Um, so, so yeah, I'm glad I did. <laughs> oh yeah. No, they're, 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 just, they're kind of strange because they're kind of like a, it looked like a little tiny bear that's been crossed with a monkey or something. You know, <laughs> but they, they, they just have very different looking animal that seems mm -hmm. in its own little class all by itself. I mean, they really they don't are. look like anything else. Yeah, they are. It's interesting. They they do look quite different. I mean, they're very distinctive mm. even amongst Australian marsupials. Yeah. But mm. I, guess, I have to say, I was looking, I was re reviewing a book on opossums and South American opossums, mm. and I was just looking through all the pictures, and I had no idea there were so many opossums. And I looked, and I they, they were so familiar. I thought, oh, these are our sort of animals. You know, these are, yeah. these are animals. So you can see the family resemblance, and you can see with koalas when they when they run, they hop, they do this bounding hop. Um, oh, wow. So you, see, you, know, you can see that sort of classic marsupial move. Their, their spines and heads are sort of got a particular shape to them. So, so they're very familiar to us, but they're certainly very different from the eutherian placental mammals. Mm. Hmm. What can we do, you know, as, as general people, what can we do to help, you know, koalas so they don't, you know, burn up all the I mean really yeah. it goes back to the climate change and, and planting yeah. more trees and things right yeah it does look a lot of people want to help directly by putting money into um you know koala risk you know funding koala hospitals and things because they are expensive to care for and those sorts of things which is great 
Um, but I personally, I really think it is the habitat issue that's the most important thing. So there's mm. several sort of organisations that help purchase um, land and protect it under. We, we have a lot of state parks and you know public parks, but the private parks are also important and putting you know areas of public land under conservation protection as well. And and you know I know the Australian Wildlife Conservancy, for example, has just started you know funded a um, purchase of a koala habitat area in New South Wales to protect some core habitat there for them. So those sorts of things are really important. But but I think also it's it's not just koalas. I think it's about people thinking about how they live their lives and what they can do in their own lives to improve their ability to live with other wildlife. You know, um, mm -hmm. what, just in terms of you know supporting local parks in your area or street trees or or you know making sure that the trees in your own neighborhood are protected and because they're so easily chopped down and you know concreted over and and so making yeah. sure that we make our cities and our habitat more friendly for other species and the biggest diversity of species we can um, I think is really crucial. You know yeah, we're clearing, um, clearing so much land all the time is, you know, like I look at this country and I know that the biggest landlord in our country is our government. And then you, when we, as we travel, we see so many vacant buildings and you think of, okay, well, how long is that gonna sit vacant, tear it down mm -hmm. and plant some trees or, yeah. one, or make a little was, garden or a park out of it or something. Mm -hmm so that we can stop taking away all the land. I mean, because it's, it's not just about the animals that we love, it's also about the plants and the trees that we really do need to save. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing we, we really advocate and as we travel the country and, and see people doing is there's a National Wildlife Federation in this country and um, they have a program called uh, Backyard Habitats where it's certified um, backyard habitats to get people mm -hmm. And I'm hoping more and more businesses do it. Like yeah. we know a lot of bed and breakfasts who do it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's really cool because then you're you're doing native plants or close to it, right? So there's mm -hmm. ones that are adaptable. Like you're saying, it's not all chalk and cheese, right? Um, yeah. Planting trees, uh, planting trees is the, the biggest deal, uh, you know, yeah, to really sure. save things. But um, what we're looking at is planting the right things, but not having dead zones. Where you know mm -hmm. pay you know pay paradise to put up a parking lot you know seriously we have all these big you know it's like how we have these dead zones in the ocean and harmful algal blooms well it's also ha happening on land you know mm -hmm. and I think that's part of the habitat problem is yeah. we're not looking when we plan things we just keep adding on instead of going mm -hmm. we need the green spaces and during yeah. the pandemic we learned human beings need the green space I think they say you have yeah. to be everybody needs a park or a green space within 10 minutes from their house or something mm. like that. Mm. Yeah, so. and I think that, yeah, that, that's a really important um, issue. And, you know, we need to look at the connectivity of the, of the green spaces, you know. And, and koalas show that really nicely in Adelaide, where, where, you know, the city I live close to, the koalas are actually moving down from the foothills, the forested foothills, into the city. And what they're oh. doing is they're 
perspective, they're moving along the linear parks that um, have remained with old gum trees along the creek lines and the rivers. Mm. So we've got the big gum trees that are still on those river systems and they're moving down through those. So so wherever they're, that's, a, that's basically a koala highway for them. They, mm, they're quite oh, happy wow. to move along the trees. Whereas what we do is we, when we develop, we break things up and we split everything up with roads, which are our mm. highways but they're deadly for wildlife and, and that's a big mm. problem for koalas is crossing the road. So we really need to think about the connectivity for wildlife, which is often working in a different direction to our own. But, you know, protecting those, I'd, I'd argue that those um, the forests along creek lines and waterways are really, really important, um, mm. especially in a dry country like, our, like Australia. Um, those forests are like the nurseries for the rest of the rest of the country the animals exactly. come and breed there because that's where the most nutrition is mm. and they're, they're much more you know they're really really important and we need to protect them mm. I think that's the same thing we talk about with our parks and public lands why we mm. kind of that's what we keep doing it's like everybody we need our parks and public lands but we also need mm. buffer zones around them so sometimes yeah. we'll have the national park like Yosemite or Yellowstone and then we'll have a national forest around or near it which is kind of a yeah. buffer but we're getting mm. to, things are are backing up so much to these forests and it's actually not good for humans like when you're talking about the wildlife corridors these you know these mm. pathways for animals which we're doing some now we even are starting to have roads or highways go over i mean like an mm. actual highway above the highway for animals yeah. to cross which is great um but it helps us as humans though we don't get in an accident as well and mm. when wildfires happen if your house isn't backed up to everything you know what I mean it's we've got to balance yeah. this in some way um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't want to live in concrete though you know I think we're doing that to ourselves and there's some balance to do and, and I think as we look at climate change what what we do and, and i think that's what's so important about you being on our show today is and what you've written is that a koala's life is important no matter where you live in the world what right. we do is impacting mm -hmm. australia you know and i yeah. think that's something we've got to realize with climate change is we're going to have refugees mm -hmm. uh, from it's that we already circle. do have and all of our, these big countries mm -hmm. are putting pressure on smaller places too and that means yeah. not just humans but the animals so it's like our individual actions really just if you love koalas think about what you're doing because it's true it's a ripple mm -hmm. effect yeah mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's like absolutely. tossing plastic you know into the wilderness or into the ocean and you know the use of plastic everywhere is just uh, mm. we're causing our own problems yeah yeah and i guess it, it is really it does get really overwhelming very easily mm. but you know I, I always think of that thing that we, we don't need 10 percent of people doing things 100 percent right we need 100 percent of people doing 10 percent right oh you know, i love that's that good. I, I like that, that. that's yeah. something we can really mm. hold on to because it i don't mm. want people to be depressed or angry or but yes. just make those oh i love that i'm using that can i use that for yeah. i'm gonna do that on every show <laughs> From Danielle, everybody. That's awesome. Oh, uh -huh. well, no, awesome. I love it. I mean, if we just did one little change at the impact, mm. you know, from each exactly. of us would be astounding. So that gives yeah. us good hope and good spirits. Mm. And um, I'm really glad you wrote your book. And uh, what's mm. next for you? 
Oh, well, I'm, I'm um, yeah, I'm just taking a little break, actually. <laughs> <laughs> She's been busy. Yeah, it's been pretty full on this one. So, um, yeah, yeah, we've still got the, the UK and European release to go in March. So um, oh I'll God. have a think about how things are going after that, I reckon. Oh, mm. awesome. Well, thank you so much for yes, your work thanks. that you do for animals, wildlife, habitat, mm. uh, which ultimately helps people. And uh, for writing the book and joining us, everyone, again, uh, danielleclode.com.au. Uh, the book is koala a natural history and an uncertain future i hope you go get it wherever you buy books and and talk to your local bookstores too uh we do our nature connection show typically every third friday and now select mondays um because we just i don't know it's it just keeps growing and growing uh, and we do this in partnership with our good friend margo carrera who is an awesome nature photographer and i encourage you to go to her website carrerafineartgallery.com you can see her photography and also all the beautiful gifts uh crafted and it's all about nature and uh, like mm -hmm. her scarves you can wrap yourself I in know. nature awesome mm -hmm. so uh join us again uh for every third friday again every select monday keep up with us at bigblendradio.com thank you so much for joining us